Well, it's good to have you with us today. Always a joy to be able to worship Jesus, and today we want to be talking about King Jesus. You may have some questions about what's going to be happening soon as we try to figure out how to open. Uh, So our plan is we'll see you in a couple weeks. We've talked about June the 7th. That's what the elders have decided. We're still working out all the details. We are going to send you some instructions. If you're on our email list, we'll send you some instructions about midweek and give you some more details as we see how things unfold. Of course, things are subject to change. One of the changes is on the fifth Sundays, I usually allow one of the other guys to preach. And so next Sunday, Joshua Dubois will be preaching. And so you will get a chance to hear somebody else. So if you tune in and it doesn't look like me, uh, just rejoice and be glad because you'll get a chance to hear him. So we've been talking a little bit about Jesus being the king, and we looked last week at the story with Saul and how the first king is found, and God waited until the time when people wanted a king. What I want you to realize is that God always wanted a king. It was his plan from the very beginning. It's what he had thought about. The whole plan was to have Jesus as king. And he knew all of this. He knew everything that was going to happen before this. And so it's not something new. And yet he waits until the time when the people want a king. You'll recall the history of what we have. Abraham was given a promise, and and Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham was a man who believed in God. Abraham was a man who did everything that God said or asked for. And so, as you realize that, it is up to then to his children to carry on this promise. And this promise was is that there would be someone who would come out of his descendants that would bless all families of the earth. Well, that's kind of a vague promise. You don't know exactly what it means or exactly what it says. And so, he has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They become 12 tribes of Israel, they are down in Egypt, and boy, that's a really fast version of the whole book of Genesis and half the Old Testament. Moses is to lead the people out, but Moses is not a king. You see, the difference between Moses, who leads the people, and he says, God said we're going to leave and go here, is that people are allowed to complain. And people are allowed to disagree, and people are allowed to grumble, and they don't like it. They don't want to do this. And so they're constantly running into situation issues. With a king, you don't have that. He just does away with those people, and that solves the problem. God was their king all this time, but God did not resort to tactics like that. And what you see happening is... The people eventually want to have a king. What I want you to realize is how early this begins. And so if you'll look at Exodus chapter 19, this is before the law of Moses is even given. It's God asking Moses to tell the people, here's what I want when I'm coming to make a law with them. Starting in verse 4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. 
You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so that's exactly what Moses does. He comes back and he talks to the people of Israel and he says, here's what God really wants. This is the thing that God's planning more than anything else. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw how I was able to bring you here to Mount Sinai. And what I'd really like is to have a holy nation, a holy people, a holy kingdom, so that God would be their God and and they could be this holy nation under God. Well, that's the plan. That's what he wants. And you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so he is looking for them to be a kingdom, but it's kind of a different kingdom because it's a holy kingdom and all the kingdoms around them didn't have this quality about them. And we realize that's what happens because of the king. They didn't have a holy king around them, but that's what God wants and that's what we realize as we look at all of history. The way the kingdom goes is by who the king is. And so we don't see very many good kingdoms of people who follow God. More, it's the fact that there are a lot of people who didn't follow God, and the people follow that king. But God has a better plan. He has a better idea. And his idea has always been to have this kingdom. Then you go to the period of Joshua taking the land and the judges, and there's not really a king. And then the people decide, we want a king. We want a physical king. And the first physical king is Saul. And so Saul is able to be this guy who looks like a king, but he doesn't do very well. God doesn't get his holy nation, a holy kingdom of people. He doesn't always obey God. He just seems to look more at the pressure of what's going on around him than really understanding who God is and what God's about. It's kind of a disaster because he doesn't follow God completely. Well, then God promises, I'm going to find a king or make a king after my own heart. And so he finds David. And it's not an immediate rise to, okay, you're gone and he's in. But we see him bringing David along as David grows up. David becomes this guy who loves God more than anything else. And he believes God more than anything else. And he's going to follow God more than anything else. And so even though he's a warrior, even though he goes into battle, he's going to ask God, am I doing the right battle? Is this your battle? Are we going to win? And so we see him doing those things. There's a prophecy about David, a prophecy that it will be on the throne of David. He will set a new king. And that's partly because David was such a good person, a man of faith who followed God. Now, he wasn't perfect, but he did follow God. And so God says, I'm going to establish your kingdom. And this is where we get all of this. His kingdom would be established forever. And one of the passages that may surprise you that is so very familiar to us is in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 5, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, as you look at that passage, you say, I know that passage. I mean, I don't know a lot of Isaiah, but I know that one. That's the one they read at Christmas time. And so, while you may associate this passage with Christmas time, I want you to look at what it really says. This passage is not a Christmas story. This passage is about a king. And that there would be a king who would be put on the throne, on the throne of David, to extend his kingdom forever. Well, that means you've got to have a better king, a more righteous king. And he says, of the increase of his government and of peace, and it gives you the authority of this king. He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. He's going to be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to his kingdom or to the peace that he will bring. And it's on the throne of David. He will establish, he will uphold, he will make this thing sure. All other governments come and go. And we can watch throughout history, no matter how strong or how powerful the nation has been. And it may be for a number of years that this nation looked invincible. And then we find out it's not. Sure enough, there are cracks and something happens and uh, we realize that there's a new king. This king isn't going to stop all of that. This king is going to be a kingdom that will last forever. So let me just ask you, which is bigger? The elections that will be coming up or that Jesus is going to be king? Is it bigger to have the election or is it bigger to have Christmas? And maybe we associate Christmas more with the idea of the person who's born as a child But I want you to think about who is king of the world. We may elect a person for a short time to be king of our nation or to be president of our nation. Excuse me, that we do not have a king. What this passage is talking about is being able to have a king forever. And while that story is such a very simple story, it's one of the most important things because I want you to realize that story is about a king, and we make it about a baby. Well, it isn't that I took the Christmas sermon and I'm going to preach it now. It's the fact that this is a king sermon, and I might have to preach it again at Christmas so you guys will get it. Let's look at another passage that talks about this idea of Jesus being king. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 30, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." That's incredible, isn't it? Did you get the last part of that? That it's a promise to Mary about you're going to have a child, but look at who the child's going to be. 
He's going to be the king forever. He's going to sit him on the throne of David, the best king before, the one that has the promise that his kingdom will last forever. And he says, this is the king that's going to last forever. And she's got to realize it's her child. And what he says about him, he's going to be great. He's going to be son of the God most high. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. He's going to have no end to his kingdom. That is the most powerful king the world has ever seen. And that's what this story is about. It's about the Messiah that they have been looking for and to realize the story is worldwide. It's about the king of the world. It's about the gospel. It's about the story of Jesus being king. That's really what's promised to Mary. And we may think about the manger and think about it as a poor place where they laid a baby. How dangerous, especially with all the virus and sickness we have going around. I'm sure we would never put a baby into a manger. I want you to realize that's a place where a king sits. That's a place for a king above all other kings. Well, after a couple of years, we see that some people come to visit. And so the wise men are able to come in Matthew chapter 2. And they're the ones looking for, you got it, a king. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star, and when it arose, we have come to worship him. And King Herod heard this and was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so they come looking for a king. Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And they're absolutely right. He didn't get much notice. He he didn't even know he'd been born. Where's the one who's been born already? And it's probably been a couple years because they come to the house where Jesus is. It's not the manger anymore. But they have come to see a king who's just a small child, a two-year-old. But a king that is bigger than his whole lifetime. Bigger than anything else. And the wise men come to visit a king who is so young, and yet they give him all the respect of a king. And they bow before him, and they bring him the gifts of a king. It's not a two-year-old birthday party. It's a gift for an eternal king. What an incredible thing it is. What they say is the stars declare the king. The heavens even opened up to say, this is the one who's been born as king. King of the Jews, yes. And king of all. King of everything. And he's going to sit on the throne of David. He's king by prophecy. We saw one in Isaiah. There's so many more. He's not king by assassination or by dictatorship as was popular at this time. A lot of times if you wanted to be king, you just had to have the bigger army go in and crush the other army, kill the king, and then you would be king. 
You wouldn't be a better king. You'd just be a stronger king. Jesus doesn't go about it that way. You see, what he says is royalty is in his DNA. He is a king by right, by David. His earthly side has the right to be king. His heavenly side has the right to be king. We understand he's the son of God. We understand he's born on earth by Mary. And he has genealogy to prove it. And when you go back and look, you look at what happened. He's from the tribe of Judah, and you can see Scripture being very carefully kept. It was one of those things that they did. You had to keep the lineage of David pure. You had to make sure that you didn't marry outside of the Jewish race. And there were all kinds of rules that they had in order to keep track of this genealogy and the only reason for it. It's because Jesus is going to be king and they can prove it. That he has a royal line. And so the lineage in Matthew talks about Abraham and David and Jesus and then goes back and fills in all the places in between. Jesus is king of the Jews on the throne of David. In Luke we get a little bit of a different story. Starts with Jesus and it goes all the way back to Adam And then the Son of God. He's king of the world. And so two different sides of a genealogy. Mary and Joseph both having this royal line. But they split at David. One has Solomon and the other one has a different person. And and yet it's still within the line of David. And you can look at how this has all been worked out as it's traced by both Mary and Joseph, and certainly by God himself. Well, how does he take a throne? I mean, it took a while for David to get on the throne. He had killed Goliath, he's popular, but still didn't mean he's on the throne. And then he refuses to kill Saul, so how does he get to the throne? Just wait for Saul to die? And yeah, basically, because they had so many battles, it wouldn't take that long. And yet, as you look at how Jesus is going to be on the throne, it's not by waiting for some political leader to die. Because he's to be king in a different way. King of a holy nation. And so, what we see happening is in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we see Peter standing up to talk to the people about the fact that they had killed their king. And about the fact that this was their Messiah. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, start in verse 29, this is halfway through the sermon. He's been talking about David and about what David says about Jesus. And then he says, But brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw, he foresaw and he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And so he talks about Pentecost and the fact that they've come together when this Holy Spirit has been poured out. And he talks about the fact that this is a prophecy that he would set a new king on the throne of David. 
and it would be one of his descendants. And he spoke about the resurrection of Christ. How interesting that he speaks about that and that it is the resurrection of Christ that would put him on the throne of David. And this Jesus God raised up. What does he mean raised up? He means he raised him up to the throne of God because that's exactly the place where he's going to be, where he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where the throne of Jesus is. We don't see it here on earth. He was king here on earth, the same as David was anointed king long before he ever sat on the throne. And Jesus is king long before he ever ascends to heaven. In fact, he's king as a baby. He is king forever. And he goes on from there, and look at the next passage in verse 33. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so that's what he's saying. He says, being exalted to the right hand of God. Where's God? He's sitting on the throne. And so as we look at this, his resurrection, his ascension, is his taking of the throne. And he's going to sit on this throne of God. And he sits on that throne right now as king over all. Peter says he has received the Holy Spirit. He has poured out the Holy Spirit so that we might be a holy nation. That's exactly what he's trying to do. He's poured out the Holy Spirit into our lives to be able to work on us from the inside, to change us from the inside, because he's a king who sits on the throne, and he has every right to do this. God has made him both Lord, Christ, and King. And when they saw this, they didn't know quite what to do. Okay, How do we take this? And so when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of his apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And so they realized they had killed their own king. They had killed their own Messiah. But it doesn't leave them hopeless. They think it does because they ask, well, what do we do now? How are we ever going to recover from this? And in such an odd way, they're told, you're going to recover exactly the way that your king did it. Exactly the way that your king rose to the throne is exactly the way that you were able to be in his kingdom and exactly the way that you're able to become part of this kingdom. God is able to use this to make him king. He is in a battle with death and he conquers death. He is righteous. He is eternal. He is holy. He is the holy king that leads his people. 
And it is his resurrection from this earth to sit on the throne of God and to enter the kingdom of Jesus. We follow that same example to conquer all. We repent and we die to ourself. And it's not an easy thing. We're baptized, we're buried in Christ, and we're raised to walk a new life. Because we have a new king in a new place. A new king who sits on a new throne, on the throne of David. And he says, because you have a new king, you can receive that Holy Spirit. And the promises to you and to all people, not just to Jews, but to realize that he's not just a Jewish king. He is a universal king above all things. He's king of the world. And he can rule in your heart. And we can be a holy nation of people because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. And this is exactly what God wanted before he ever even gave the law, that we might be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation before God. It's just staggering, isn't it? And I'm glad to be able to say this not at Christmas, because at Christmas we reduce everything down to a baby. I think maybe we need to expand the story this year, don't you? And be able to think about what a great king we have with a new kingdom And the one thing that he asked from way back then is obey his voice, keep his covenant. Those two things. And so we give praise today to God for King Jesus. Because after all, he is king of all things. And we would like for you to belong to that new king. This is the steps. This is how it works. If you haven't done the baptism, then please call us. We're able to do that. We'll work something out. But most of all, the very first step is you accept him as king. You say, I want to have him as king. Because until you do that, there's going to be no dying to yourself and being allowing him to take over. And so I pray today that you'll realize that King Jesus is king of the world. He's bigger than virus. He's bigger than disease. He's bigger than any spread of anything. And that we have such a great king. He is to be praised.